Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mana on the Rocks. I am your host today, Atlas, and I'm here joined by Joe. What is up? A uh, little something different today. Uh, we're doing the first in one of our series called Local Brews. Um, so we're going to go in and just about every five episodes or so, we're going to take a look at uh, a list from somebody who we know or who we've played against in the community, something we think is a little spicy, a little different. Um, and we're going to go through and dissect it and just give you folks an opportunity to uh, hear what the thought process are, is behind um, these different decks and sort of what makes these brewers tick. So without much further ado, I'd love to introduce uh, Chainer to you as our first deck. Um, and come on down, have a drink with us. So take me through the the thought process behind this deck. Why why Chainer? What makes this guy so much better than any other Rakdos commander? So one, he's super cool and he's super fly. Um, but that unfortunately doesn't get brownie points in the CDH community. No, um, it does not. <laughs> personally, I think he's got drip, and I think that in and of itself is enough. But I I guess I have to actually back it up with some things. So. Um, kind of starting out with the deck, uh, Chainer was just a card I, I gravitated towards when I when I first kind of came back to Magic after like a four-year break. I saw someone play this card and I looked at him like, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to build this guy. And then like I traded for one and then I'm like, okay, I only want to build this deck using just like cards I have around. I'm still playing like pretty casual. And then I was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool. It does a lot. This guy does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of very, a lot of very unique things. Um, and then over time, I've iterated it, iterated it, iterated it. Uh, and then um, our weekly started up because we were just getting, uh, we were starting to lift some pandemic restrictions. And um, I, at the time, was playing Geese on because I was like the most quote unquote CDH deck I owned at the time because I played a pretty tuned version of it. It wasn't, I didn't have like all the rocks and all the fancy cards or anything, but I had like most of the major, major parts and I knew how to pilot the deck. Um, and one day uh, I'm, I'm brewing with him like, okay. I kind of know what CDH looks like. What does what does a CDH version of this deck look like? Um, and then like a, like five days after I, I had built that list, uh, you had actually told me, "Hey, there's a Chainer deck on the on the database right now." I'm like, and my eyes widened. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, it was, was there for a short second. It was there for like I think one whole cycle, and then they took it off. But that's that's kind of like my story with the card. Um, but as to why I play it over other Rakdos commanders, it does something unique that the other commanders don't. Um, all of the other Rakdos commanders do exactly one thing, and that's go fast. Chainer can go fast. You can build the deck and tweak it to go fast. My version, and what I think is a better way to play Chainer, doesn't go fast. It has fast lines. I have kept fast hands, and they have paid off. Like, it it, it has you're still playing Rakdos. You have rituals and rocks and really easy to assemble combos if your draw is right. But the thing I really like about Chainer is his ability to recur. It's the ability to if you get stopped on something, so long as you have access to your tools, you're still a live player, which is one of the issues I've always had with Rakdos and to to a large degree CDH is it's it's all one shot or nothing. Granted, game sometimes ends afterwards. Uh, after someone you know tries to shoot their shot but it allows for so much more grind um and that's kind of where this deck excels at over the other rakdos decks sure well you mentioned going fast and it's like that seems to be what the colors are like 
known to do, right? And so mm-hmm. this is going to be the controversial take that your list has, but even as a more mid-rangey list, um, your list doesn't play ad yet. Like, what's the thought process behind that? Uh, how much time do we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the, the thought process is twofold. Uh, one... The way the way the deck operates um, is we make use of burial life piles, and the way we make use of buried alive piles is through Necrotic Ooze and Kiki Jiki and the interaction that those two cards have. Um, we also make use of Razakath to make for more pivot lines um, and allow for greater resiliency when trying to actually go for your combo. Um, so those cards just make make it so that your Nas donks yourself. Um, this deck also runs a lot of three drops that don't necessarily help you post Nas a lot of the time. Uh, there are a few exceptions, things like Dual Caster Mage and uh, Activated Sleeper and whatnot, Mayhem Devil. Um, but they, they're they not really conducive to the plan. Um, essentially, what Nas wants to do in Rakdos specifically is wants to be really low to the ground and have a lot of redundancy in its mana rocks and in its fast mana and a higher density tutor, uh, higher tutor density than what I'm running. So that's that's kind of the first thing. And the other... I think this deck is just I, the way the way I have it set up is I think we're doing better things than casting Nas. Um, Ooh, not to controversial. say, <laughs> yeah, very controversial. Um, I mean, so this deck makes exceptional use of a classic uh, Rakdos trick of uh, Mizzix Mastery and Pure into the Abyss because we have a discard outlet in the command zone. That combo is so free, and most of the time when we are pitching Mizzix Mastery, we are usually trying to recur something from the graveyard. So we're getting value while setting up further plays down the line that sometimes people don't even see or they see and can't do anything about because they have to deal with the thing that's on the stack right now. Um, so when, you know, the the, the Mizzix's Mastery comes out after we've pitched Appearance of the Abyss, it doesn't matter. And then Bolas's Citadel, I love Goblin Welder and Goblin Engineer to, like, a frightening degree. And <laughs> that card just pays off everything. It fits, it slots in so effortlessly for what the deck wants to do. Um, it's great. It's great. Uh, it, oh, secret third thing, I also just don't like casting Adnaz. Yeah, well, I just have a personal dislike against it. Like, I just, I don't like casting the card. That's I'm not fair. Gonna play the the card. card is an absolute house, though. And especially with the colors that are tuned to go fast... And sort of like they're they're in that that vein of like um, high risk high reward like mm-hmm. Nas even with the deck building restrictions is like really really rewarding as far as those like those like one card win cons air quotes but um, so so what you you mentioned like buried alive piles and stuff so uh, what's like I know that sometimes you discard your Necrotic Ooze or whatever, and then reanimate it. But, like, what are some of the... You have this discard outlet in the command zone. You have this, mm-hmm. this like, really unique enabler. What are some of the piles? What are some of the win conditions? The general, like, tech that makes Chainer viable? Because we, we see, like, when people are talking about the like the things that make a commander CDH viable, it either provides a card advantage, or it provides um, a one-card win condition or it provides some uh, very, like, specific, unique effect that um, enables a deck. And I, I would think that Chainer, like, falls into that sort of vein of, like, a unique, specific effect. But why is why is having, like, the ability to cast a creature card from the graveyard so good? Especially when things like Dothy and Draineth Magistrate are, like, run all over the format. Those things just kind of turn off your deck. 
no, and that's and that's totally valuable, valid, 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 valuable, valuable and valid. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, and that's and that's totally fair. Like those those two cards are very much an Achilles heel for the deck. But I think one thing that a lot of people do need to keep in mind, especially when brewing, like not necessarily the most known commanders, is like there is a portion. Like you mentioned, Douthi and Draneth, like. Those shut me off my game plans, but that doesn't stop me from, like, casting the cards in my hand. Like, they're still impactful if I have cards in my hand. Um, so it doesn't stop me there. Uh, but the the deck is constructed in such a way that I have tools to be able to play through those things. Um, things like uh, the Welder package, for example. Uh, fantastic at, like, looping my artifacts, looping Wishclaw Talisman to actually find my outs for those things. Um, things like Apprentice Necromancer is fantastic for one time pulling things out of the grave. Um, this deck also makes use of a lot of clone effects. So if I have something on the field that's valuable, that's worth it, I have Kiki Jiki, I have Activated Sleeper, provided the creature is able to die and go to the graveyard, Cursed Mirror, Ways to Loop Cursed Mirror, and just a bevy of just other generic like reanimation effects that are able to kind of play around those things, at least for one time. Also, like those cards hurt a lot of other decks. So we're able if you're able to politically align yourself with people who are like, hey, this Douthy sucks. Am I right, gamer? Um, <laughs> you can kind of like tag team like, yeah, this guy has got the got the Douthy and the Draneth. Like we can get him like these are these are not cards that are unique to only stopping us. They, they hurt and harm the rest of the table. Like we're just as affected by him as everybody else. OK, so last thing before we go into more like in-depth breakdown of some specific cards uh what are your like what exactly are your win conditions how do you end the game gotcha so it's necrotic ooze piles um specifically the card that actually delivers the killing blow is mog fanatic uh red mana one one gabo that sacks itself to deal one damage to any target um, we're able to abuse that with the interaction between Kikijiki and Necroticus. Um, having a Kikijiki in the yard and a Necroticus that's not summoning sick um, allows us to tap it to use Kikijiki te uh, use Kikijiki's text on it. Um, as per Necroticus's ability, it lets you use activated abilities for any creature in any graveyard. Um, relevant if you're playing against other people that are also doing Kikijiki stuff. If it's in their yard, that turns on your combo. So using that, um, because Necroticus is non-legendary, you can have it target itself and make a new haste copy. Do that to create infinite copies, um, infinite tapped copies, and one untapped copy. That's kind of the general game state we want to set ourselves up to be in. Uh, a lot of decks are really able to make use of like infinite mana or infinite creatures or infinite ETBs or LTBs. That This is kind of our ideal. Um, and then with Mog Fanatic in the yard, we can, um, all the copies have that sack themselves text to deal damage. So that's usually how we end the game. Uh, the other way the deck ends the game is through Dualcaster and Saw in Half. Um, we talked about this interaction on a previous episode, and you were big fans of it, but quickly go over it. Uh, Saw in Half targeting something, hold priority, cast Dualcaster Mage. Targeting this, uh, the Saw in Half, it allows you to create infinite dual caster mages. Um, and if you have other creatures on the battlefield, it lets you create infinite of those copies. Um, myriad of ways to win through that. Uh, it's an instant speed line, so we can do it on an end step, going to our turn, and swing with infinite 1-1s. One or if we have other pieces available to us, we're able to convert that into a win apart from that. Um, apart from that, those are like the two main win, uh, win lines. Um, and because we have just a lot of natural recursion in the deck... Um, Cards like Dockside and Mayhem Devil are fantastic finishers if the game goes long. We're able to just loop that effect a bunch and just 
burn everybody out. And then our creatures are pretty large and we're swinging pretty often, so we can also just go to the red zone pretty frequently. Yeah, for sure. All right, so within that vein of creatures, um, so I'm going to go over your list here, and, there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stop on a couple of the, the key ones that I think go are interesting and that we that listeners might be curious about your thought process on the inclusion. Mm-hmm. So... You're playing Dragon's Rage Chandler, Goblin Welder, Mog Fanatic, Ragavan, Skirk Prospector, Stitcher Supplier, kind of like generic things you'd expect very, to see like a red black Very deck. standard red black stuff. Yeah, and then we hit this Apprentice Necromancer card that you mentioned previously, um, which uh, for those who might not be familiar with, a little bit more obscure card. It is a wizard that is a 1 1. It is black and 1 to cast. And it has the ability pay a black, tap it, sacrifice it. Return target creature card from your graveyard to play. That creature gains haste, and at the end of the turn, you sacrifice it. So it's sort of like a kiki-jiki activation-style thing, but it's returning a creature card from the graveyard. What's what's the purpose behind this card when your commander's already casting from the graveyard? Redundancy. Um, Chainer has unique text in that his discard ability is once per turn to activate. Sometimes you need to be able to do multiple activations on a turn for whatever reason, Um, but there are two key things. Uh, One, it's a tap ability, and usually tap abilities are kind of balanced internally when it comes to magic design on. This card needs to stick around for a turn to be able to actually use it, and it's a pretty powerful effect. It's a a non-restrictive reanimate effect that doesn't cost anything apart from mana, and that's pretty easy to do. Um, So it lets us uh, get more reanimation. Uh, The other thing is it's instant speed interaction. Um, there's a lot of cards in this deck that really, really like to be on the battlefield at instant speed. Being able to, you know, one time flash out a, uh, uh, like a re- recruiter, uh, Imperial recruiter, get something out, uh, recurrent opposition agent. Maybe uh, we're crimped on mana because you have to hold up mana for interaction, or we just interacted. We have this one black mana, but our graveyard's still live and necromancer's still on- online. We can make use of those things. Um, so it's just essentially interaction and redundancy that yeah definitely makes sense um redundancy is kind of the name of the game in a lot of aspects it's like you want to mm-hmm. make sure that you have like x number of tutors that grab your win condition or whatever um got some card drawn here you got dark confidants got some light stacks pieces that are good for you Dothy voidwalker seems really cool goes to your graveyard when you activate it you can recast it um Doxy Extortionist. Oh, yeah. I just just want to talk about Dalthy in this deck is disgusting um, because you are able to crack Dalthy to get a card, and then if you have a card in hand, you pitch it to Chainer. Dalthy comes back, Chainer sees that, and then rehastes the Dalthy. So you just get more play with the Dalthy pile than other people do. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's the Dockside staple. If you're in red, you pretty much have to be playing this card, or you're kind of throwing. Yeah. Um, there's Goblin Engineer, it's another welder type effect. Tutors for an artifact dumps into the bin. You can pay some mana and tap this guy to reanimate it. Now, activated Sleeper. This is a kind of a unique card. Don't see a lot of it outside of Hulk Pile decks. Um, for those listening, it is a uh, two generic mana and one black for a Phyrexian Shapeshifter. Um, activated Sleeper has Flash. It is a 0 0, and you may have Activated Sleeper enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature card in a graveyard. That was put there from the battlefield this turn, except it's Phyrexian in addition to its other types. So, we're red-black. We don't have counter magic, and we don't have swords to plowshares. So, our interaction is narrow, limited, and sometimes not instant speed. So, it's it's unfortunately one of those we take it where we can get it. 
However, Activated Sleeper does a lot of heavy lifting in this deck. Um, we play three Flash creatures primarily in the deck. Uh, Dual Caster Mage, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we play Oppo because we're in black. Uh, this is the third one. Uh, Flash specifically on creatures breaks timing when it comes to Chainer. So these cards can be milled over, discarded, whatever, find themselves in the yard. So long as we have a card to pitch to Chainer and we have mana, we are able to flash out these creatures. And sometimes people just don't expect it. It's interaction from the yard when people aren't thinking of it. Um, it does things like if someone is like bolting Archon of Amirias or other like rule of law effects and we need to keep the board under a rule of law um, to have it go to our turn so we can try and win, uh, this helps give redundancy for that. If someone cracks a Ranger Captain of Eos, um, we can flash in uh, in response to the Ranger Captain, uh, or later on, and put our opponent under a Ranger Captain as well as getting a tutor. So it's it's interaction in a way the deck uh, no one really sees, um, and Chainer is pretty uniquely qualified to kind of take advantage of that outside of Hulk piles, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, just so this is a good point, I think, to go over um, some of the unique rulings about Chainer's ability. We'll just take a pause from the reviewing the actual deck list. Um, but you mentioned flashing out Accurate Sleeper from the graveyard. Let's go over that one a little bit more. Sure, sure. So Chainer has two primary abilities. Um, his first one uh, reads, discard a card, colon. Uh, in, in magic speak, the colon is what signifies the end of cost. So for cost, we discard a card. Th that on its own is already pretty interesting. Um, it allows for some pretty unique things, um, but it kind of what, after, what ha comes after that really kind of ices the deal. Um, we may cast a creature spell from our graveyard this turn, activate only one e once each turn. Um, this is per instance of Chainer, so if we get a clone of it, we flicker it, uh, Chainer dies, and then re-comes back, um, it doesn't matter. Um, we get a new activation, we get a new discard. Um, Chainer also doesn't need to be on the battlefield, um, so if he dies, he can bring himself back, so he has built-in recursion into himself. He is occasionally very sticky to get rid of. Yeah, so that's the first ability. And then his second ability reads, whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, if you didn't cast it from your hand, it gains haste until your next turn. This is kind of the part that... It, it makes the whole deck work. It what It's what allows us to make use of Necroticus, um to win the game, as well as make use of a couple of tap uh, abilities in the deck. Yeah, so whenever um, a non-token creature enters the battlefield, it gains haste. That that does a lot. Uh, one, it lets us be on the aggression a lot more. A lot, all of our creatures come in swinging pretty fast, so we're a potent threat to any Adnaz players at the table, because all of our creatures just come down and just turn sideways. Sometimes that's just the most relevant thing we can do, and it gets there most of the time. Um... But the tap ability specifically lets Necroticus work because of that restriction for how that combo works. Necroticus needs to be not summoning six. So if we cast it off of a chainer or a reanimation effect, um, that ability triggers and gives haste to the creature. Comes with some draw side. It's a little slow technically because it is a triggered ability. So the trigger needs to resolve in order for that haste to be granted to the creature. So if a knowledgeable player is able to snipe the creature in response to the trigger, it's kind of all for naught, but once you kind of learn the play patterns, you know that you need to be playing with that in mind 24-7 and try and have a backup plan for it. It's it's a hard pilot thing to really get around, and one of the like second or third biggest learning curves that I've really had with the deck. Um, 
Also, Chainer sees himself. It says whenever a non-token creature. So Chainer is a non-token creature. So when you cast him from the hand zone, he basically has the word haste printed on him, even though he doesn't have haste himself. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of, um, I know that having to learn the different workarounds and where and when to interact. It's It was tricky for me and a couple of other players in our, in our usual group. Uh, you gotta do some careful reading with this guy he is he's slippery he it's a very very tricky card because it's a lot of this a lot of the stuff that he does you kind of don't realize it uh, until it happens yeah it's one of those things where like you're like oh yeah okay so i know what this does and then you know what it does and then you don't, you don't know and then like like even if you're aware of it you get put into a situation where you're like okay cool so he's gonna have a dothy and then he'll recast the dothy and you might even might even click that it's gonna have haste when you re when you recast it, but then, but then like you're over here going, yeah. So I'm gonna cast this thing, um, pitch this card, recast the Dothy, trigger. It's gonna gain haste, which allows me to now crack the Dothy again to recast the thing immediately. Like it doesn't always click that way. And the so amount of times it, that I have like ripped multiple tutors out of singular Dothy piles with just one Dothy is ridiculous. It's yeah. insane. Uh, also, Welder and Engineer just are fantastic fits for the deck because uh, Chainer basically sets up everything you need for the Welders. It puts yep. the artifacts you want in the yard and it grants haste to them so that way they are online immediately. Uh, one of my favorite play patterns to do is just like pitch a, pitch a Bolus to Citadel before uh, two players before my turn because it's once each turn and then going into my turn, pitch a, pitch a Welder and then just recast the Welder on my turn and just be like, you gotta have something. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna uncounterable put a bolus of citadel into play. It's disgusting. It's, disgusting. it's ridiculous. It's. I mean, that's and that's that's standard Rakdos tech, but Chainer is just able to kind of take that to the next level. It, it Chainer enables the deck to do substantially grosser things. Absolutely. Okay, so now that we've covered Aggravated Sleeper and we've reviewed Chainer's ability one more time. Um... So some other cards you have in the deck are Braids, Arisen Nightmare, which is kind of a house. Um, it's, it says it, set up your graveyard and draw three cards. Yeah, it's really it's really strong. I know that I've played it in a couple of decks. Um, it's it's caught on a little bit with some other players too. I've seen some stuff yeah. in different discords. Yeah. Um, it's very strong. Uh, it is a three three legendary creature. It's a nightmare. Um, casts for black black one. The beginning of your end step you're allowed to sacrifice an artifact a creature an enchantment land or planeswalker if you want to and if you do each opponent then gets the option to sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with that sacked permanent um and for each opponent who does not that player loses two life and you the controller of braids get to draw a card mm -hmm. so really strong great uh great value for card draw especially as a graveyard centric deck um go it ahead does everything and, you want yeah go ahead and sack your opposition agent and then recast it at the end step or something it's it's great it keeps you live. It, there's basically no downside to it. That's the way you're able to mitigate this card is because these are things that we want in the yard um, and we can take advantage of them when they're in the yard and we get to draw cards off of that. Yeah. And then there's uh, there's Dualcaster Mage. We mentioned Dualcaster Saw combos. Great piece to interact with if you're in Rakdos. You can copy tutors or counter spells or really whatever you need. Um, we've mentioned our second favorite Rakdos commander, florian on a couple of other episodes we have um, so uh florian is a three through first strike cast for rakdos plus one uh and then at the beginning of your post combat main phase you look at the top x cards of your library x is the amount of life that your opponents have lost this turn you get to choose one of those cards place into exile the rest go on your bottom the bottom of your library in a random order 
You may play the Exiled card this turn, so it's kind of like Rakdos Timna. Um, Imperial Recruiter, Mayhem Devil, um, Opposition Agent, Professional Facebreaker, all pretty standard Rakdos staples, just generically yeah. good, strong value engines. Uh, Facebreaker um, in particular is really good because our team naturally has a lot of haste, so we're able to pretty frequently get triggers on um, on Facebreaker. And looping Dockside, like you mentioned before. Yeah. You have uh, you have Treasures to Sacrifice, you can impulse draw those cards. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then Necrotic Ooze is our, our main man combo piece, mm -hmm. and um, Auric Lore Mage. Now this card is a little bit little bit interesting uh, i know that it's been in and out of different versions of the list but at present you think that it is just good enough for your configuration you think that it's worth playing so Marik lore mage is a black black two human warlock it's a three three has the ability tap so once again getting abused by chainer's ability as long as we're not casting it from our hand necrotic um, also steals this text as well because oh, it's because it's an activated ability that's true see we're going over the the deck right now and still don't even doesn't even click there with me how are strong layers these upon can be. layers upon layers <laughs> to this deck. Uh, so this is more or less in tomb on a stick. You search your library for a card, put it in your graveyard, and shuffle. If that entombed card was an instant or sorcery, you get to put a one-one counter on Auric Lore Mage. That text has been relevant, I think, exactly once when I dumped a Faithless Looting. Uh, I think like <laughs> post post pure or something, or I you needed were like. I just needed some form of like card filtering, and I'm just like, I'll just I'll just dump the faithless looting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So the one one counter is not not super relevant. Yeah, that the the the, the rest of the ability isn't relevant. The relevant text to it is that it is a controlled way to dump a card into the graveyard. So often people will be like, okay, this is a graveyard deck. This is reanimator. Um, I'm just gonna rest in peace you and kill you. Well, if I have this on the battlefield. I, I control when I put the card in the yard. Like, I will put it into the yard when I am ready to go or in response to something when I'm set up. Uh, a lot of times, I will just have, like, Chainer and this on the battlefield and mana open, and I have access to any instant speed creature from my deck. I don't need... I need one card in hand. It doesn't matter what the card is. So long as I have a card in hand, I can, you know, activate the Oracle or Mage, pitch the card, and then just cast an Opposition Agent basically from my deck. Like, it's just interaction... Um, also, Oracle Lore Mage on its own sets up the Necrotic Ooze pile with no further need to upkeep it or whatever. Uh, first activation, you dump the Kiki Jiki. Uh, second activation, you or no? I think I I think I do Razaketh these days first. I think I think Razaketh and then Necrotic Ooze and then cast uh, Necrotic Ooze from the yard or reanimate it. Otherwise, um, it gets the text of the Razaketh. I sack the Oracle Lore Mage to get a search. Um, I sack Chainer to get another search and send Chainer to the yard. Chainer, uh, Chainer gets uh, Necrotic Ooze's text goes onto Chainer, uh, and then the deck it, it just it, the combo is already set up from one card. It's a one, it's another one card win condition. Bit slower, bit more interactable, but it kind of sneaks through a lot of the time. It's like Birthing Pod in, in in a way. That card, I have I have yet to see that card sneak through, but uh, but yeah, I get what you're you saying. You also know what the tech does, so you know how to interact <laughs> oh, with Oh, I was talking fair. about Pod, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pod, yeah. Pod, Pod, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so um, we'll move into your sorceries here. Um, once again, a lot of standard Rakdos tech. Got Faithless Looting, Gamble, Reanimate, Unearth, uh, Demonic Tutor, Diabolic Intent, Shatter Skull Smashing, Buried Alive, uh, Praetor's Grasp, super valuable card. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of decks, just very versatile. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, black, black, one for a sorcery. Basically, get to 
um, opposition and opponent, you search their library for a card, exile it face down. Um, you may then play the card for as long as it remains exiled. Um, and this this includes lands. Um, you can just play it. So then, of course, Toxic, uh, Toxic Deluge, Mystic's Mastery, Peer, like we mentioned. The one card that some players might not be familiar with, um, but is a staple for anyone who's uh, who's used to playing uh, Rakdos and messes with their graveyard, is Feed the Swarm. Feed the Swarm. It's a black one sorcery. Uh, destroy target creature or enchantment and opponent controls. You lose half, or sorry, you lose life equal to that permanence. Converted oh god, cost. lose half, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that it's sorcery speed. It makes it kind of clunky, but we lose to a decent amount of things or get our access shut off from a decent amount of things. This is a good catch-all for basically everything that we lose to, save for artifacts, um, yeah. and specifically Graft Digger's Cage. Um, it blows up Douthies, it blows up Limbalas, it blows up Dranith Magistrate, it kills Rest in Peace, it kills Leyline of the Void. It's just catch-all removal that we just need. We're desperate for more removal, and this is one of the more generic pieces that we can make use of. Well, specifically, it's it says creature or enchantment. And in your color, the enchantment specifically is the relevant text there. Kind of hard to yeah. hit enchantments sometimes. You don't get disenchant effects. You don't get um, don't get bounce get, spells. Yep, no bounce spells. You can't uh, nature's claim it because you're not in green. So nope. nope, nope, nope. Or the other the other thing is we lean on people politically to be like, hey, you can't breach with this out. We need to get rid of this. <laughs> Ignoring the fact that we're also a breach deck, but uh, we just don't mention that part. Yeah, we just don't mention that. Alright. Um, so then your instants are going to be um, a lot more standard stuff. Calling the yeah. Weak, Dark Red, Entomb, Bolt, uh, Reb, Vamp Tutor, Abraid, got, uh, got Cabal Ritual in here, uh, Tainted Pact, Chaos Warp, once again, removes enchantments. It's an instant Gener speed, unconditional removal. removal spell. Yep. Uh, deflecting Spot, Saw in Half, Deadly Rollick, um, is the black uh, free with your commander spell, just exiles a creature, um, costs black three. And then the two spells in here that I thought were particularly interesting are Shallow Grave, which mm -hmm. uh, those Anala players out there will be familiar with, or uh, maybe even some Hulk players, uh, and then Slaughter Pact. So let's let's start with let's start with Shallow Grave. Um, why is this card great in your deck? So Chainer lets us instant speed discard a card. Uh, if we discard a creature card, it is the topmost creature of our pile. This is just instant speed reanimation. Um, it also crucially gives the card, uh, the, the creature it's animate, uh, reanimates, uh, haste innately. So we don't need to wait for a chainer's haste trigger to resolve. Hell, we don't even need chainer involved, period. Um, it's another Swiss Army knife in our toolbox that lets us combo, lets us interact, uh, lets us get in, gain advantage, um... There's a common theme, as you can tell, throughout this entire uh, deck list. Um, Rakdos is hard to interact on other players' turns, so we play. I try and play a lot of cards that give me the most room for interaction, the most room for play on my opponent's turns. Um, so that way, when it rolls around to my turn, I have interacted with the board. My political obligations are kind of set. Like I've done stuff for people. Uh, maybe people have done stuff for me. Who knows? But I've made an impact throughout the entire turn cycle. So when it comes to my turn, I can try and go for the win if if it's correct for me to do so at the time. Shallow Grave is just another effect that lets me do exactly that. All right, and then Slaughter Pact. Um, everyone's familiar with Pact of Negation. It's a stable staple in our format. However, um, Slaughter Pact is its lesser known cousin. 
It is a black spell that casts for zero, destroys target non-black creature, and at the beginning of your next upkeep, you must pay black and two, and if you do not, you lose the game. Why are we including this card? Is it just for Draneth Magistrate or yeah, Collector Roof or... It kills all of the creatures that we lose to, with the exception of Douthy. That is the only card, uh, there's the only creature card that we lose to that this card does not hit, uh, and it's free interaction. That's it, it's just good. That's um, all there is, is to it. It's it's all there is to it. Um, I wish it uh, could also hit Douthy. It just doesn't. Um, this has actually been the flex slot for removal for the deck. Uh, sometimes this slot is the Pyroblast, sometimes... Uh, I, I was testing this card for a while. Pyrokinesis, uh, four double red. It's the red force of will. Um, you exile a red card from your hand and you deal four damage to any creatures. Split as you choose. Card's insane. Um, I, every single time I've cast it, it feels really good. Um, and we're two color, so the cost is usually negligible. But it's just different. Different. It's just you know different removal for different situations, really. For sure. You can tweak that based on like what you're seeing in the meta too, yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. Alright, so got a lot of artifact ramp in here, being as you don't have dorks. Um, like Chromox, Lotus, things along those lines. Playing top, um, I assume because you're on Citadel as well? Yep. Uh, mentioned it earlier. Um, this is the what I like to call Build-A-Bargain. So we assemble Bolus of Citadel plus Sensei's Divining Top, um, and we can present a loop where we lose life and draw a card, effectively. Um, Top's also kind of pseudo card advantage. Uh, try and play some of the best, most flexible card advantage pieces that we can get. It's not ideal, but sometimes it gets there. Um, we're also playing things like Darcy and uh, Bob, Dark Confidant, so we are able to kind of take advantage of having access to the top of our deck. Um, but that's... Eh, it's unfortunately just kind of standard Rakdos tech. Um Take it where we can get it, really. Yeah, nothing super sweet about it, but it's it's good enough, and it combos it's, with another card in the deck that's kind of a mainstay. One of the things when brewing, especially low colors, especially low colors that doesn't have access to blue, you take a lot of things where you can get it. Um, and that's one of the harder things about playing like lower color, uh, lower colors in CDH is you're making concessions, like just straight up in a in a format where we have a vintage card pool. Limiting yourself on color, limiting yourself on colors is one of the worst things to do uh, from like a broad perspective. Uh, we don't have the flexibility of counter spells to stop people's problems. Um, we don't have the ease of win cons through Thorpal uh, Consult. Um, so we have to get creative and take advantage of kind of like the X factor way more. For sure. Um, so we mentioned some stuff that you can do with uh, Wish Clan Talisman, like weldering mm -hmm. it away and things. Um, and you are on Breach, so that explains your grinding station in this list. Yep. Um, you use that that loop to sort of like filter your library since you don't aren't really winning, but you can like filter through your, into your graveyard. Yep, yep. So um, with Grinding Station uh, and the combination of Culling the Weak and Citrus Supplier, we have two main lines that we uh, assemble to not win the game directly. Those things translate to a win. Uh, they help us find our things to actually win the game. So we keep a buffer of three cards depending on the pile. Uh, no, both, both lines need a buffer of three cards in the graveyard. And essentially, we're able to churn through our deck and make mana to assemble the Necroticus pile or find Dualcaster and Twin Flame to win the game that way. Uh, and Grinding Station is just sweet. Uh, lets us uh, sacrifice Wishclaw Talismans in response to the activation, so way we deny the drawback. Um, it messes with top deck tutors. 
Um, it's it, it has a lot of secret utility. Uh, and if you're in Rakdos, I, it's my preferred uh, breach line uh, over something like LED wheel or something like that. Well, you also you also have in here a Stitcher Supplier and Culling the Week. That's another yep. breach line you have, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, that one, same idea. Um, we are able to essentially cycle through our deck three cards at a time, keeping a buffer of three cards in the graveyard, and also making mana as we go. We just find our we just find our combo. Yeah. Um, not a combo, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, but a card that you have been very passionate about explaining in this list uh, that I wanted to touch on was Cursed Mirror. Ah, Cursed Mirror, my beloved. Uh, yeah, so when I first started really powering up this deck, I saw an old Playing With Power video of someone playing Mono Red. Oh, God, what's the um, uh, Trash for Treasure Planeswalker? Duretti. Duretti, thank you. Uh, I saw them go Goblin Engineer, send Cursed Mirror, activate Cursed Mirror, or activate Goblin Engineer, bring back Cursed Mirror for a Goblin Engineer, and dump like the other half of their mesmeric ord combo and then just grab that out and i and my brain exploded i went holy shit that is one of the tightest lines <laughs> i have seen in my life and ever since i started sleeving that combo up it has been one of like these signature things that this deck does because chainer provides haste to the engineer and sets up the pieces in the yard Everything kind of slots together, and it's, hey, would you look at that? It's interaction. It's protection for the table. Someone tries to remove the, the rule of law creature in response to the removal spell. We curse mirror, put the rule of law creature back on the table. That player is now stopped to win on their turn. Uh, it lets me copy things. Uh, we can get two Mayhem Devils out. We can get two Face Breakers. Um, we get to loop Orc Lore Mage even further. We get to put a hasted copy of Necrotic Ooze on the deck. It just It is glue that holds it together and is usually my first send-off engineer unless I'm pretty sure I need something else because it's, it's removal, it's toolbox, and it's the way to assemble the combo all on its own uh, because we just go engineer, dump Curse Mirror, Curse Mirror, copy engineer, dump Wishclaw Talisman, recur Wishclaw Talisman, untap, activate Wishclaw Talisman, sack the Wishclaw Talisman, get something else, find our tutor, win. It, I'm going to hit it, pause right there. I realized I neglected to elaborate on what Curse Mirror does. Oh, it is yeah, yeah, red yeah. two for an artifact, taps for red, um, replacement effect. As Curse Mirror enters the battlefield, um, you're allowed to have it become a copy of any creature on the battlefield until end of turn, except the, the creature that Curse Mirror becomes has haste. Yes. Um, the first few months I played with this card... I thought it was like Kiki-Jiki in that um, if you do it on an end step, it persists as the creature. It does not. It uh, it, it falls off during the cleanup step. Um, apologies to my opponents in the past. I thought I understood my card. I didn't understand my card. Uh, however, there are situations... It, it, it's funny. Um, there are situations where you want it to be one or the other. I'm kind of glad that, that it's the cleanup one because it makes for certain lines to be a lot cleaner. It sucks that you don't get things to persist into your turn, but oftentimes you just need that one-shot clone effect, and then you really want the uh, artifact on board as food for the Goblin Engineer or the Welder. It's the Rakdos image for someone else's Doxite Extortionist. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it, it's it's it, it's a clone effect. It, sky's the limit with how good a clone effects are, and the fact that we get basically an uncounterable instant speed way to clone something on the battlefield, sure. The fact that it doesn't stick around forever, we'll take it. It... It'll do enough damage on its own. Absolutely. So now we're getting into enchantments here. And this is a little bit of an interesting one. 
Um, so Anime Dead, one would mm-hmm. expect to see. We've mentioned yep. Underworld Breach, of course. Everyone's um, favorite cringy enchantment. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then um, Necromancy is another Anime Dead style effect. It's a black mm-hmm. two uh, for uh, uh, an enchantment that uh, when it enters the battlefield uh, triggers to return a creature card in any graveyard to play uh, under your control. Um, but Necromancy is a little unique. Um, gives you that sort of like instant speed style interaction that you were mentioning before um, because you can cast it as though it had flash. Uh, however, if you do cast it at any time, you could not cast a sorcery. Um, the, the creature that is reanimated must be sacrificed during the cleanup set um, and uh, or if Necromancy leaves play. Um, so once again, a little bit of like an anime dead enchantment style thing there little different because it is instant speed so there other than like the generic like uh oh at your end step i'll flash this and get like a sweet etb or whatever uh, is there any specific reason that necromancy is like better than say uh dance of the dead um it's it's strictly because it's, an, it's instant speed as much instant speed interaction as we can pack into the deck is going to ultimately be better for you and look at every CDH deck in the world. They're packing as much instant speed removal. If it can be done at instant speed, you should be doing it at instant speed. Um, mana efficiency be damned. Um, also, Dance of the Dead puts the creature into play tapped. That's no good. That's, that's no, no good. good. Not for Chainer. That's, that's no good. Uh, we have tap <laughs> effects, and we have people that we need to beat up. Uh, so having it enter the battlefield tapped is not good. I don't know if you want to blow up the spot on our necromancy tech, or if you want to save that for a different day. Oh, we'll keep them hooked, especially now we'll that we've mentioned we'll it. Keep, we'll, we'll keep them hooked. Okay. Um, okay, so then moving to the last two here, we got one of my pet enchantments. Um, black Market Connections mm-hmm. uh, is black two for an enchantment that at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase allows you to choose one or more of three options. You can either sell your contraband, which allows you to create a treasure token and lose one life. Or you can buy information, allowing you to draw a card and lose two life. Or you can hire a mercenary, creating a 3-2 colorless shapeshifter creature token with changeling and lose three life. Or you can do any combination of those three. So uh, it's just like Black Sylvan Library. It's sort of like, um, what's that What's that card? Phyrexian Arena, but Power Yeah, it's, it's Power Crypt uh, Phyrexian Arena. Which yeah. is a weird thing to like comprehend because when I first started playing Commander, uh, Frexton Arena was goaded. That was the uh, card, right? That was like you want a card draw. It it got no better than Frexton Arena. One extra now, life for now one Now it's card. easy. It's easier to cast, and it does substantially more. It crazy. ramps you, yeah. Strong um, card. Yeah, so we we we're, this deck is uniquely able to make use of this card because our life total isn't at as high a premium as like other Rakdos decks where your life total is in service of Nas. Our life total is going to be hit a lot just by virtue of we play Rakdos, people are going to hit us, and rightly so. We make use of a lot of the uh, usual life loss effects, especially things like Bolas' Citadel and Pierce in the Abyss. If if you want to play Nas, um, this would be the easy slot out for it just because those two cards conflict very, very hard with each other. If you're in a game and you're doing the black market, black market connection thing, um, you're probably not trying to nause, and if you're nausing, you don't want black market black market connections. Yeah, that's uh, that's about where I stand on the card as well. But absolute house if you're in a little bit slower mid range of your oh, shell fantastic. and your life rolls a little more flexible. Um, okay, now this one, I actually didn't even realize that you were on this card. I don't oh, yeah. think I've played against you since you've added it. However, um, uh, back in from like 2010s, 
this card was formerly an all-star in commander um used to be strong in cdh but uh sneak attack um reminder for those of you who might not have been playing for as long um, wake up grandpa <laughs> we're sneak attacking uh red and three for an enchantment uh allowing you to pay one red uh and then uh as the ability resolves you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield that creature gains haste sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step what's the deal with this card <laughs> this is new so, yeah um this is a card that i am surprised i didn't think of when i first built the deck i was literally just like going through a bulk box like looking for stuff or like going through an old deck box and i saw this card and i just stared at it for like five minutes i'm just like wait this card's really good um i call it the kind of birthing pod of the deck because it kind of ties a lot of things together it is instant speed interaction it is uh ways to put creatures into the yard and it is instant speed combo um true you just get to combo on other people's turns uh or be able to set up your combo in different ways um you can sneak attack in the ooze on or hell even on your turn it sneak attacks in the ooze and gives the ooze haste without needing chainer around um that on its own is so much but because we do things like we play Razaketh in the deck we play kiki jiki in the deck uh we get discounts for our creatures it's huge them sacrificing themselves at the beginning of the end step that's usually a benefit we want those cards in the graveyard um, <laughs> one of the funnier lines that this card enables is uh on an opponent's turn um before we head head to their end step at the end of their second main phase we can activate this put key uh put uh kiki jiki uh, onto the battlefield end step let the sacrifice trigger resolve and then this is classic kiki jiki text uh kiki jiki tech where if we activate uh that this ability on an end step the uh the creature persists because it it sacrifices at the beginning of the end step not at the end of turn uh all uh like uh, necromancy or uh any other card that fades during the cleanup um so what we can do is necrotic ooze has haste we have kiki jiki in the yard we just make infinite dudes and then just go to combat on our turn can't you can't do that without sneaking <laughs> so it's just it's instant speed combo it's more toolbox it's more interaction it's exactly what the deck needs um Ever since I played this card, uh, it's it's sick. Um, if you have it out and you go for a peer into the abyss, your lines get easier uh, and are harder to interact with because all your creatures are uncounterable. Just puts them straight into play. Just, it, it, the ability needs to resolve. That's it. That's um, all there is to it. There's no bleeding information or anything. It's nope. I'm going to be paying one red to activate sneak attack. Does the ability resolve? No. Yes. Cool. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put this Razaketh onto the battlefield. That makes it's, all of your opponents very it's sad. It's sick. It's tech. Um. I'm a big fan of the card. I'm actually surprised that you don't see this card played in anywhere else in CDH. It feels like a card that, like, granted, I think it's a card that gets better when the meta is slower. Um, I think this is one of the first few cards that probably goes out if you need to speed up the deck if you want to play at a faster clip. But if it's slower, oh, baby, this card is an absolute Seems house. ridiculous if you're playing into a rule of law or something like that. That's just because you can put two creatures into play for two red mana, ignore their costs, and still be able to cast a spell. Yeah, it's it's one mana. Your creatures cost one mana. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, that just about concludes the deck list. There were a couple of lands I just wanted to go over here. So you're playing a 28 land count um, with one MVFC being Shatter Skull Smashing um, slash Shatter Skull Hammer Pass. Um, just as additional removal spell, it's really strong, it's flexible, um, 
but uh, your land package is, for the most part, very generic. Um, you are playing some things that are a little bit more unusual, like Castle Lockthwain, um, but once again, card draw, we take it wherever we can get it, especially in lower colors, and we don't have access to blue, right? Yep, uh, and uniquely in Chainer, uh, we are, because we are a discard outlet in the command zone, we're pretty often hellbent, so it usually just ends up being draw a card, lose life, or like lose two. It's a decent rate for what it is, and it enters untapped uh, conditionally, and it makes colored mana, so there are things like, um, oh, there's the one from like uh, Shadows Over Innistrad or Eldritch Moon, um, makes everybody draw this card. Um, Gaia Reach Sanitarium? Gaia Reach Sanitarium yeah. and um, uh, Miko, uh, Mikokoro. Mikokoro. Um, this restricts the draw to yourself. It's a little bit more mana intensive, but that's kind of our trade-off here. And personally, I don't like letting my opponents draw cards if I can avoid Not it. Not if you can help it. Um, okay, so aside from that, you got like some some slick, more unique cards, but they're staples more or less. Phyrexian Tower. Yeah. Um, you got like Spire of Industry as a staple card. It's just like a mm -hmm. pain land that turns into a uh it produces a rainbow instead of uh specifically red or black um takanuma seems really strong get to mill three opening up access to your graveyard um and then uh it can also return a card to your hand um, it lets us save necroticus or other critical cards in instant speed so oh, it's just a way yeah. it's a way for us to pull critical cards out of the yard in case like we see the rest in peace coming down and we can takanuma it allows us just to save our uh save our things and bide our time yeah, because it pulls the cards out of the graveyard. Doesn't have to have been milled by Takanuma. Nope. Um, but the the main two that I wanted to just go over real quick, because these are these are something that you will hardly see in any deck. Um, being Collector Oof and Dockside Extortionist, being that they exist. Uh, Vault of Whispers, and I think the other one is uh, Great Furnace. They are the red and black artifact lands. Um Care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, so these are unfortunately concessions for us being on both Mox Opal and the Welder package. We really want artifacts on the battlefield. It's an easy way for me to like increase the count uh, for Mox Opal and also keep artifacts live for Welder and Engineer. I Every single day I look at this list, I'm wishy-washy on it just because... It, for the exact reasons, as you mentioned, like, oof, rips away our lands, uh, it feeds Docksides in a deck that we're already feeding Docksides. There's a world where I take them out, um, and I don't necessarily think that's incorrect, but for right now, they're, they're fine enough, um, but it definitely, definitely does suck to get hosed by those cards, In yeah. For sure. So that covers basically the entire list. Um, so... The next thing I wanted to talk about uh, is just, like, your general matchup spread. Like, how do you approach, approach a game? What decks are you scared of? Um, if you look at your pod composition, where are you trying to position yourself in terms of speed generally? So that's going to be dependent on the pod that we're in. Um, if I am up against, like, green-based uh, stack decks or, like, Winota specifically... I'm generally going to take a bit more of a controlly position. I'm going to look for hands that have removal spells um, and more resilient creatures um, and maybe like a card advantage engine. Um, but I'm mostly trying to lean on control, um, trying to find a way to get to Toxic Deluge kind of as soon as possible. And then once Toxic Deluge happens, the board's kind of open for us to do whatever. 
I'm not necessarily worried about like rest in peace effects, um, but I am worried about like Dranth Magistrates and Linvalas in those matchups. Um, so that's what I have to say for that. And then for kind of more of just like the mid range variants, I'm mainly looking to get some sort of advantage piece and looking for a way to stick Chainer fast and early, um, and just kind of riding him out uh, as him uh, as him being my value engine. And then for um, any other fast decks, any other decks that are like, okay, you're very clearly like an Adnaz deck. Uh, think uh, Grixis Piles, other Rakdos decks. Um, I'm usually trying to be essentially a bad version of Winota, where I will stick a threat, mainly Chainer or something else, and I will just attack relentlessly. Uh, usually those are the pods where I'm trying to have like turn one, turn two Chainer, and then just I'm going to stick on you like a mad dog and not let go until you're not going to be able to add Nos anymore. For sure. That makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider that you have a lot of creatures in the list that are like three Xs with some additional ability, whether that's Menace or uh shadow or like first strike something along those lines your deck is very aggressive yeah no it's it's an aggressive slant and we need to take advantage of that um it's one of the more unique things about uh chainer specifically as one of the rakdos commanders is we, we turn sideways a lot so we play better statted creatures more like i wouldn't say i i want like a dedicated combat creature um but having creatures that are just bigger and more keywords is usually going to be good for wanting to just like connect because one of the common play patterns with chainer is if you have chainer on the battlefield and a creature you want to haste you just discard the creature and then cast the creature like you would normally except it has haste and now you just swing in with it you, you've just given a creature haste just immediately just, just immediately have haste so aside from aside from like play aggressive um make sure you set ben some time to learn the lines uh, what's some advice that you would give to somebody reaching into Rakdos for the first time and they're looking to play a little bit more mid-rangey than say like Prosper or something like that something that's a little bit a uh, little bit maybe not a little slower um but still like potent in different meta hmm see it's interesting because I I view Prosper as almost like the polar opposite of what Chainer does I it Prosper provides a lot more mana and a lot more direct card draw to your overall strategy, which is not a bad thing. In fact, it is a good thing. It is one of the best. He is one of the best commanders kind of in the format. Um, that's really only hindered by his color identity. If he had three colors, he would be busted. If he was four or five colors, we would only see this guy. <laughs> like, I don't know how to tell you this. Um, he makes treasures and gives you an extra card each turn. Guaranteed that's busted um but it's chainer is ultimately kind of a medical commander i have i have learned uh he is really good when you are expecting uh thorn of amethyst thalia's rule of laws because chainer's ability is only once per turn you're able to do that on once of each person's turn and your combo you only need to cast one card uh, you have you have like very common lines where you only need to cast one card. The rest of your deck has activated abilities, so you can play in a rule law, no problem. Um, so that's that's generally where he fits in. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so if someone is looking to pilot this deck for the first time, uh, or a deck that's very similar to it, uh, what? What's the thing that they should be looking out for? What's the the one thing that you would say 
this is what you need to be doing with the deck that might not pop up, uh, pop to the front of their mind first time they're pulling it out of the box. So the it's it's unfortunately kind of classic Rakdos um, adage. Um, you're looking for your window. Um, and Rakdos specifically is a color identity that rewards you very heavily for knowing when your window is and taking it as best as you can. You don't have the luxury of white to hide behind like Grand Abolisher or Silence or a Ranger Captain. When you're going in, you're unfortunately needing to go all in. So you need to pick your moment pretty, pretty particularly. Um, as for Chainer particularly, he is unique in that you are able to kind of layer your win attempts inside of each other um, and kind of hide behind your value stuff. So, oh, I'm just trying to cast this Dalthy. I'm just pitching this welder. I'm not, I don't have any artifacts in my graveyard. I can't really do anything, but I've got this, I've got this Bolus of Citadel in hand. I'm just, I'm just waiting. Uh, so that way when I get my window, I can pitch Bolus of Citadel for cost, recast the welder, and then just weld it out. Um, I've hidden so many things inside of each other while gaining advantage and shutting down my opponents. Like that's, that's the ultimate kind of goal that you're trying to do you're trying to make value stop other players and hide your win attempts through your interactions um one of the weird things i've kind of figured out um is i've kind of built this deck to play Yu-Gi-Oh in magic i didn't <laughs> i didn't really set out to do that but a lot of it is a lot of your a lot of your interactions are so layered into each other and feed into each other and work so synergistically with each other that I just recently returned to Yu-Gi-Oh. It plays very much like Yu-Gi-Oh. I figured out, and Be I didn't, I didn't set gonna, up. I didn't set out to build this deck like this. And you know, drive was very powerful. away from Chainer if you keep talking like that. <laughs> no, no, it's great because it's a completely different playstyle that a lot of people aren't prepared for. Um, but that's ultimately like the biggest thing to Chainer is it's a very different playstyle. You don't have direct card advantage in the command zone. You have to kind of like squint your eyes and tilt your head a little bit and kind of walk backwards a few miles. Um, but it is like a form of card advantage if your engine is online uh, <laughs> difficulty is your engine needs to be online and cdh isn't forgiving for that um but even still i think that this deck has the chops to hang with the other rakdos decks especially because this deck specifically preys on adnods like no other we have a three two that comes out on turn one with haste that will just attack into the adnods player for five turns <laughs> we're like, gonna get there <laughs> we're gonna get there we're gonna we're take gonna away your life there tool um yeah that, that that would be my advice great well was, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about chainer that i might have missed before we uh give our viewers back the rest of their day um not really uh chainer for me is uh, I, obviously i am incredibly passionate about this card this card like this deck means a lot to me this is one of my favorite decks that i've had the pleasure of building and brewing and play testing and figuring out um and ultimately is why i wanted to do this podcast because i it's 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 an example of you can take an idea and push it to its absolute extreme and make it cdh a lot of people have told me this isn't cdh i've submitted this to the database they've told me this is not cdh and i just have <laughs> to turn around and go then what the fuck is cdh then it's it's you have to be playing adnos right you oh, have clearly to be. i i'm not on adnos i'm not on uh diamond i'm not on wheel it's not cdh and to me, I have to stick a middle finger at those things because just because I'm not playing the staples of the format, um, the expected cards, doesn't mean that my deck isn't doing something completely unique, completely different, plays on a different axis, plays away from those things and plays into other things that are just as effective, if not more. Um, Peer into the Abyss of Mizzix's Mastery costs one less mana than Adnaz, will draw you more cards. 
Bolus the Citadel. Costs one black more, uh, one more black mana, and lets you cast the cards while you're losing that same amount of life. And it's easier to assemble, and it's faster, and usually uncounterable. It's a lot of a lot of bonuses for for strategies that might not there be quite There are upsides, normal. and no one wants to explore these upsides. Yeah. Well, that's a. Uh... That's a, I think that's just about all that I had in terms of covering the deck. It's very unique, um, as I have had the pleasure of finding out multiple times over. Incredibly potent. Um, it'll it'll blindside you and just uh, take the take matches by storm if you're not prepared. If you aren't looking for some of the very specific niche things that Chainer brings to the table. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an awesome deck, and I'm really glad that we got to do this deck tech on it. So. Absolutely, absolutely. One of my one of my all time favorites. Um, as much as I want to recommend it, this I know this deck isn't for everybody, but it's it's worth a shot because it is incredibly different from what is expected of the color identity. And yeah. I don't know I think having variety of options within specific color pairings is a good thing to do. Um, it's hard because the best things in color identities are known and are expected and are established. So straying away from those things, you get a lot of side eye, and I don't know. I'm kind of here for people to give me the side eye. <laughs> well, for anyone who is interested in looking at Joe's list a little bit more intricately, um, we will be putting the link in the description so that you can uh, you can take a peek at it and maybe get some uh, get some of your own ideas to take away or um, honestly net deck it, try it, uh, give us some feedback about what you think. Um, yeah, um, yeah. This this list is I, I I have to thank a few people for this list. Um, one Atlas, I need to thank you. Um, you have been instrumental in making sure that I'm like playing the good cards and also being like the most stubborn brick wall when it comes to me needing to explain my cards because genuinely I need to be able to do those things if I need to like say that this is CDH. Can't like, afford to let you get lost in the sauce. No, look, I, and I get I love to get lost in the sauce. There are so many things I like to. I, I have I have theories upon theories with this deck, and you're you you keep me grounded, and I cannot thank you enough for that because ultimately the deck becomes better, or at the very least, I have to get more creative to work around those things, and then surprise you, which surprises me, and so on and so forth. Um, but the second shout out I need to give is to a fella called Buzon. Uh, B-U-Z-O-N on Moxfield. Um, he is the uh, brewer who got the original list of Chainer onto the database. I was very shocked that me, mine and his list were pretty close to each other. Um, just in terms of the win conditions, we both kind of identified Necroticus as being one of the best things that this deck could do. Um, and specifically the slot for Oracle Lore Mage was a card I didn't even know existed until I saw his list. Um, and then his line, specifically with Razaketh, fundamentally shifted how the deck plays for me. Um, so I, I can't thank him enough. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for us today. Thank you everyone for listening and joining us for another episode of Man on the Rocks. Hope wherever you are, you're having a great day and we hope that you'll join us again next time. See you later.